You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw, and I want to continue with the seventh uh, chapter in At the Limits of Political Philosophy, the second section. Uh, the chapter on um, the death of Christ and the death of Socrates. As we said that this is the uh, beginning of the discussions about the relationship between uh, politics and political philosophy and religion and metaphysics, particularly Revelation. So this next section um, is entitled The Extent of Public Authority. The real question was whether Christ claimed a political authority that would threaten either Jewish or Roman power. When Christ refused to answer any more of uh, Pilate's questions because he evidently thought the Roman official to be either weak or dishonest, Pilate asked him if he should, uh, if he did not know that he, Pilate, had the power of life and death over him. And Christ responded in a phrase which has become uh, a classic in political philosophy, namely that Pilate would have no authority at all over him were it not given to him uh, by his father. Christ evidently was silent, not because he did not understand the uh, mechanics of politics, but because he did. Pilate's problem was not theoretical, but whether he would uh, actually be just in the case before him. The Romans could claim with some uh, justice to have been the uh, fairest and wisest of the ancient conquerors. Their uh, reputation for justice was uh, why St. Paul, later in the Acts of the Apostles, would prefer to let the, uh, his own case be tried by the Romans rather than, uh, uh, than any other uh, tribunal. Christ was not interested in the theoretic question of whether Pilate, as a Roman governor, held legitimate political authority in Palestine. The Romans, as had the Greeks before them, they controlled this area by conquest. And Christ acknowledged that Pilate had de facto political authority, and he expected him to use it justly. But would Pilate uphold the Roman reputation for justice. When Christ told Pilate in his um, uh, interview that his kingdom was not of this world, uh, it was uh, sufficient uh, to convince Pilate that Christ, uh, whatever he taught, did not threaten Rome with political uh, subversion. This incident with the Roman governor is the 
foundation of a long subsequent discussion about the meaning of those things not of this world, the things uh, to be rendered to God. The things that belong to Caesar became of central questions to every man uh, to free him from the uh, invalid claims of the state or other institutions. Christ told Pilate that he, Pilate, would have no uh, authority at all over him if it were not given to him by the Father. He recognized both that political authority had its justification in human nature and that Pilate was engaged in a specific act involving uh, this sense of political authority, the same political authority. This uh, passage in the Gospel of John about the political authority, uh, together with Paul's uh, affirmation of uh, in the epistles to the Romans that all authority comes from God and so that we should uh, obey uh, the emperor parallels the Greek argument that man is by nature a political animal. Man needs a polity to be fully what he is in, the, in his givenness. But this scriptural account adds uh, to the Greek idea uh, of um, the naturalness of political authority the notion that authority ultimately comes uh, from its in intelligent and willed source in the Godhead. Political authority is not merely uh, an abstract principle or form. Political authority, uh, and hence political life, are, the, are not merely philosophically justified, but religiously grounded. Neither of these uh, foundations contradicts the other, but in fact, they are directly related as complete to incomplete. The breaking of moral laws acting against virtue is not only a violation of some abstract uh, rationale or system. It is a rejection of human nature and of the uh, a personal cause of human nature. This is why virtue as a philosophical concept uh, implies something uh, more than itself. The rebellion against the goodness of what man is uh, that we have seen uh, to exist in human nature finds its ultimate root here. Evil, in its medieval and modern understanding, has much greater depth than it did among the Greeks because its consequences were more visible and more uh, grounded. Human disorders are sins and not just uh, rational errors or psychological quirks 
because they involve a chosen disorder uh, of a personal nature. The deep seriousness of human nature, uh, human life, is manifest in every responsible action. Each action, in principle, uh, reaches the cause of personal being itself, a cause that also bears the mark of personhood. The next section is called The Essential uh, Teaching. Socrates had defined philosophy uh, as but a uh, preparation for death. The highest act of life arose in the very moment when uh, life ceased. The burden of philosophy was to tell us this truth. Socrates spent his last days in jail talking with his friends who were amazed at his calmness. This last day had uh, sometimes been called Socrates' second trial, uh, the one uh, demanded by the potential philosophers, uh, not satisfied with the reasons given before the public jurors. What did they all talk about? They talked of a subject that surprised Socrates' companions, uh, the immortality of the, of the soul. The soul was immortal, not just in the sense that our deeds lived on uh, after us in the polity, but in the sense that some specific uh, personal existence continued after death. If in death, however, we would be rid of those um, impediments uh, that prevent our understanding the right order of things, uh, we would be rid of those ills uh, that prevent us from uh, busying ourselves with the highest things uh, as our uh, natural, as our normal lot. The freedom of death, in the Greek view, caused us to be rid of the bodies, uh, the bodily impediment uh, that prevents us from knowing uh, uh, in its highest forms. So it was the body, for, according to this notion, that prevented us from knowing. In this analysis, political things uh, can lose their uh, ultimate uh, focus uh, when they are not um, seen in the light of a preparation for death. The moral and political injustices that we commit in our polity cause us, at least, uh, to worry, as did Cephalus in the first uh, book of the Republic, about how we should atone uh, for our evils. We must inquire whether it is possible for us to atone by repaying our debts or by um, offering sacrifices. The New Testament teaches that by ourselves we cannot uh, forgive uh, our own sins or evils, though we can 
deeper given uh, when uh, acknowledged uh, for what they are before those who have the power to forgive sins, a power always conceived to be not merely uh, human. Forgiveness implies an unchangeable standard against which we measure our actions. In a relativist or historicist morality, where evil is contingent and subject to change, no forgiveness is possible. Only a change in the definition of evil or of what is to be forgiven. The teaching of the Republic was that we have one life to live, and it should be lived rightly uh, the first time. We will not recognize real good if we uh, deflect ourselves uh, from it in our own choices. Socrates held that we should seek uh, the good in speech. Christ taught that we should uh, uh, first seek the kingdom of God. Right order, however, uh, towards the highest things alone made the order of worldly things to be intelligible and capable of being rightly and um, uh, situated among human priorities. Neither Socrates nor Christ um, intimated that the life of man in this world was in itself evil, though separation from matter uh, seemed for Socrates to be the way to avoid evil. But neither professed to find in existing polity, political life, the highest things for which human beings were made. Both Socrates and Christ taught uh, these lessons uh, to the world because uh, they both once appeared, however reluctantly, as public figures in their own polities. Without their polities, uh, we would not have known of them, and without the traditions and books in which these events were reported, we would not uh, be able to ponder uh, them as guides uh, for the higher things. The next section is on forgiveness. If there is any uh, striking difference between the death of Socrates and that of Christ, it is found in the doctrine of forgiveness. The discoverer of the role of forgiveness in the realm of human affairs was Jesus of Nazareth, Hannah Arendt wrote. And she continued, the only rudimentary sign of an awareness that forgiveness uh, may be the necessary uh, corrective for the inevitable uh, damages resulting from human action may be seen in the Roman principle uh, to spare the vanquished, a wisdom entirely unknown to the Greeks, and or in the right uh, in the right to uh, commute uh, the death sentence. 
probably also of Roman origin, which is the prerogative of nearly all Western heads of state, the end of the quote. Pilate, in the case of Barabbas, sought to ex exercise this power uh, to commute, or at least to exchange, a death sentence. The notion of forgiveness is a particular force in political philosophy. Forgiveness is directed to the limits of justice, the primary political virtue and concern. Christ taught that we should love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. He did not, to be clear, uh, deny that justice is a virtue, nor that we uh, might have enemies whom we should uh, identify as such. No doubt, as Plato observed in the first book of the Republic, we would confuse our enemies for our friends and our friends for our enemies at times. The fact is, in experience, that not everyone loves us and some would even hate us. The most difficult teaching of the New Testament concerns the love of enemies. The love of enemies was not a naive blindness towards those who would harm us or others, nor was it an unwillingness to admit that there could be, and often was, often were, those who hated us for uh, no just cause. Nor was it a doctrine uh, of pacifism uh, preventing us uh, to do uh, to protect ourselves or others. Christ asked his father to forgive those who executed him, for they know not what they do. The question of the guilt of those who executed Christ must be seen in this light, without denying the uh, that some basic crime was committed in the killing of Christ. The whole of the New Testament begins in Mark with the doctrine of repentance and forgiveness. This doctrine does not uh, teach that we are to uh, we are so weak that we can do nothing right, but that we are so strong and autonomous that we can uh, do evil to others if we will. The doctrine can be can hold true only if there is something to repent and if there is something, uh, someone to whom uh, one, one, our deeds, uh, particularly our evil deeds, uh, made uh, any difference. One cannot repent principles. We can only prove them to be right or to be wrong. Christ was continually in trouble for his claim to forgive sins. This power was considered to be and it is a divine power. Uh, the claim was either blasphemous or uh, implied that Christ was God. Christ often used 
miraculous incidents uh, to call attention uh, to, uh, to or to prove his power to forgive sins. In such actions, evidently he did, did claim um, to be divine. And forgiveness meant, uh, the more the experience we have, of the unending disorder caused by our evil actions, uh, how they could be stopped but not by ourselves alone. So uh, forgiveness had to do with how do you stop this question of evil from going on and on. An action that began in, in family or civil life uh, with consequences in either family or uh, polity in the lives of others could not be totally uh, confronted by political means. Here again, uh, reason and revelation are strangely juxtaposed. A problem that arises in experience and a solution that is proposed in revelation conforms each other in an intellectual context uh, in which it looks, at least, as if they ought to be related. One possible solution, forgiveness uh, for admitted moral disorders, uh, appears to exist. But the solution it cannot be considered intellectual until the problems of the consequences of evil are confronted. The harshness of justice indicated that there should be a power uh, to mitigate its strict demands in the uh, name of some higher uh, public good. This necessity is why Aristotle has a virtue called equity in the fifth book of the uh, Ethics. Uh, and this virtue deals with the cases where the letter of justice is too harsh. The Greek polity uh, itself was designed to stop the unending uh, sequence of vengeance with no political judgment or uh, coercion uh, to stop the cycles of vengeance. Uh, punishment uh, follows punishment uh, unceasingly. In the Republic, Plato stressed not law, but the wisdom of the philosopher king to uh, uh, prevent um, disorders. Complete justice needed to concern itself with the uh, particular, not only the general case, in order that uh, everyone, uh, everyone's total um, life uh, might be uh, accounted for. Perhaps we need uh, not look to uh, rightness or wrongness, but to uh, expediency. Uh, Thucydides, in a famous debate about Mytilene in the Peloponnesian War, held that the questions of, of politics are not decided 
primarily in terms of justice or guilt, but in terms of what course of action might be best for the state to follow for its own good. The political approach, however, did not directly address itself to what was the issue in the case of forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness are two sides of the same coin. One cannot be forgiven without repentance, except in the external uh, uh, political sense. No doubt, even if someone uh, who uh, offends us does not repent, we can still forgive him in our own hearts. The real uh, test arises when the admittedly guilty party repents and asks for forgiveness. Do we always insist on justice? Uh, the problem uh, Shakespeare uh, presented in The Merchant of Venice. Guilt involves knowing what we do. If those few who saw to it that uh, Christ was crucified for a political crime, he did not, uh, for critical lives, did not know what they did, as Christ himself said of them, uh, were they then uh, guilty of nothing? What they did uh, not know was who Christ was in the fullness of his being. Even if Christ uh, was only a human, uh, they were still guilty of an unjust act. But as we suggested, the uh, formalities of the law were followed in the instances of Christ's uh, uh, execution. Uh, this point indicates the difference between uh, external uh, legality and morality. But if Christ were a fraud, which uh, uh, some probably held, then we have a law, and according to that law, he must die, as we read in the Gospel of John. Subjectively, some of these people uh, could have been acting justly. The limits of justice. The full implications of the doctrine of forgiveness can only be seen in terms of the limits of justice. Justice has certain something infinite about it. The quid pro quo of justice, the eye for an eye uh, of the Old Testament, leads from one act uh, that uh, seems unjust to another uh, in revenge that seems equally unjust. No stopping the action of justice is possible unless something uh, intervenes uh, to interrupt the uh, multiple retaliations. What can this intervention be? It is clearly forgiveness. Aquinas argued that revelation was necessary because of the limits of natural 
reasoning. By ourselves, we could uh, reach a high notion of justice, but human law could not regulate our inner thoughts uh, and uh, plottings, uh, from which real uh, evils flow. Revelation tells us uh, not merely uh, uh, not to kill, but not to plan to kill, uh, not to formulate disordered ideas and musings. Real disorder in the world originates not in the actions of men as such, but in those practical thoughts from uh, which actions follow. And since the law of the state and the uh, capacity of men to judge others uh, did not reach uh, to the uh, interior of a person's uh, thoughts, the only way these thoughts could be ordered would be by the divine admonition or law, the effect of which was to challenge or to incite uh, the person to order uh, those uh, thoughts of his that might uh, lead to civil uh, or personal disorders. Revelation remained contingent uh, on, on freedom uh, for its effects in the world, but it did uh, address the problems of the origins of human disorder. There was a, a congruence between the problem as it appealed in political life uh, when uh, properly formulated and the answer suggested by revelation uh, for free men uh, to consider. The next section is called The Location of the Best Regime. Plato came to hold, because of the death of Socrates, that the Republic could never be located in any actual city, uh, such as Athens uh, was. Nor could it be in Rome, as uh, Cicero had thought it might be. Was it illegitimate, therefore, to ask the question about the location of the Republic, or in terms of Christ, uh, terms Christ used as Pilate, of the kingdom of God. St. Augustine was enthralled uh, by Plato's endeavors to articulate the city in speech. The question of the best city arose naturally and logically uh, from the existence of a differing cities of differing abilities, good and, um, and bad. But Plato found that the best city existed only in speech, only in argument or dialectics. As a result of the Old and New Testaments, St. Augustine uh, was a realist in his uh, treatment of the ultimate uh, thing, of ultimate things. As St. Augustine held that Plato was not wrong in seeking the 
best regime, but only in thinking that its location in speech, however valid uh, for the uh, pursuit of dialectic, uh, would would uh, that this would not satisfy men. The city of God, a phrase found in the Psalms for St. Augustine, uh, had an existence and a real population uh, composed of those intelligent beings who would choose to love God above all things. Those who chose themselves uh, had their own city of man, uh, which included only themselves. The loving oneself for St. Augustine meant the placing of one's own ideas or uh, blessedness, uh, good and evil, over any consideration of what God had established. The members of this latter city of man were those who, in the words of Genesis, ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was composed of those who lived out their uh, own definitions of good and evil, not the ones uh, that uh, came from God through nature and, re uh, uh, and reason. Philosophy uh, reached exalted heights, but could not satisfactorily answer uh, its own questions about the location of the best regime and its inhabitants. But philosophy knew the question was a legitimate one. St. Augustine uh, called Cicero, the great Roman philosopher, uh, to witness to the inadequate inadequacy of the answers of the philosophers. Quote from Cicero, from, from St. Augustine rather than Cicero. The blessings uh, which men uh, crave in, in life are not invariably uh, bestowed upon them, lest religion should be uh, cultivated for the sake of these temporal advantages, while it ought rather to be cultivated uh, for the sake uh, of the other life uh, from which all evils are excluded. And therefore also uh, does grace and good, uh, do, does grace uh, aid good men in the midst of uh, present uh, calamity uh, so that they are enabled uh, to endure them uh, with a uh, constancy uh, proportioned to their faith. The world's uh, sages affirm that philosophy uh, contributes something to this, that philosophy, uh, which according to Cicero, the gods have bestowed in its uh, purity uh, on only a few men, they have never given, uh, he says, nor can ever give a greater gift to men. 
so that even those uh, against whom we are um, disputing have been compelled uh, to acknowledge uh, in some fashion um, that the grace of God is necessary for the acquisition, uh, not indeed of any philosophy, but of a, the true philosophy. And if the true philosophy, this sole support against the um, miseries of, of this life, has been given by heaven only to a few, it sufficiently appears uh, from this that the human race has been condemned uh, to pay the, uh, this penalty of uh, wretchedness. And that is according uh, to their acknowledge, acknowledgement, no greater gift has been bestowed by God so that it must be uh, believed that a, it could be given only uh, by God, uh, by that God whom uh, they themselves recognize as greater than the gods they, they worship, the other quote. St. Augustine was not content with a solution to the problem of the city of God that included only a few philosophers, none of whom uh, could have uh, reached the true uh, solution uh, to his own problems by himself alone. In this sense, Revelation reproposes the conflict of poetry and philosophy uh, to encompass a uh, destiny that might include all men, even the non-philosophers, uh, though this uh, solution, again, was not political in its primary purpose. This conclusion meant that the highest things were intended uh, for more than just the philosophers. The doctrine of forgiveness joins the realism of actual politics, uh, for it is clear that very few, if any, actual regimes are perfectly good. The doctrine of forgiveness is not addressed to the reformation of civil regimes, though it can indirectly affect them. Rather, it is directed to the uh, condition of most men who are uh, sinners or fallen uh, to human beings who actually do evil deeds uh, which call for uh, vengeance, revenge, or justice. Forgiveness can stop the actions of revenge, but forgiveness is the sole possibility uh, for most men, uh, non-philosophers, uh, uh, not the least, uh, for teaching the highest things. From the dialogues of Plato, uh, we know that Socrates argued that his soul was immortal. As we will see in discussing the classic teaching on friendship, uh, something was inadequate about the teaching because uh, the soul is not the whole Socrates. The death of Christ was followed by the resurrection. The death of Christ was followed not by a philosophic teaching 
in which his thoughts were preserved, though this preservation was also done by, the, by church and scripture, in his case, but by an announcement and the witnessing that he was risen body and soul. In the New Testament teaching, all men were destined for uh, completion in a manner beyond Socrates' immortality of the soul. The resurrection of the body restored the human being to his essential fullness, body and soul. But the status of each would be dependent upon his free choices, on his repentance, and on his being forgiven. Nothing was in, uh, was non-personal in the highest thing. It was precisely a communion, a city, an interchange. Their city was, uh, was decided by their thoughts and their actions, but the whole of the person was uh, to remain uh, no matter which way the choice was made. Resurrection was of both the just and the unjust. The New Testament teaching on forgiveness did not hold that everyone would be saved, but it did hold that this as a possibility. It could do so, it could do no more, because a free being had to choose uh, to act well or ill. The reality of what it was to to do evil or to do good remained to, de uh, to define the moral world in all times and places, including uh, in what it came to be known as heaven and hell. The enigma that political philosophy confronted, both in the doctrines of the limits of justice and in the rewards and punishment uh, uh, connected uh, with justice, found their uh, possible solution in the revelational teaching of the forgiveness, salvation, resurrection, and freedom. But political philosophy had also treated for more classical issues to which the teachings of Socrates and Christ gave rise. Those of happiness and of virtue and vice, issues that now must be uh, uh, considered uh, in more detail, for they are the theoretical background within which the incomplete feelings of political philosophy had their origins. The surprising horizons of political philosophy thus include not merely questions uh, dealing with the origins and meanings of evil, punishment, and death, but also the questions dealing with man uh, at his best. Even more strikingly uh, than the questions uh, connected with uh, the natural origins of uh, the bitter and brilliant errors of, of our thinkers through philosophic re reflections on happiness and the worth of uh, virtue 
lead beyond themselves, all the while containing uh, within themselves the roots of uh, realities on which they are based. Unless these questions are asked in the beginning and formulated in political philosophy, it will not be clear why certain answers stand uh, in the otherwise enigmatic form that they do. Political philosophy has the distinction of treating such questions and realities as its own questions, even as they open up onto vistas that, while not uh, expected, still appear worthy of consideration. The deaths of Christ and Socrates, paradoxically, are events in our history uh, that, more than any others, uh, can guide us to considerations not only of evil and death, but also of virtue and friendship uh, to the things of uncommon, of uncommon importance that lie at the limits of political philosophy. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.